I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Neon. The podcast that takes you beyond pop culture to the real history that's lurking behind it. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round on Neon, we're looking at The Wolf of Wall Street, the Martin Scorsese movie based on the book of the same name about the career of Jordan Belfort. This is going to be one hell of a ride, people, because we're going to do a deep dive. Yes, I'll talk a little bit about the historical accuracy of the movie, but actually, it's something that impacts my day job, too. So I feel I am very well placed to tell you how I have witnessed the impact of this pop culture on society around me. But before we get going, it's always worth saying, please, please do keep the conversation going once the podcast finishes. You can obviously do that by giving us a review. Thank you very much for that on whatever app you're listening to this. Please help spread the word that way. You can talk to us on neonpodcast.com or neonpodcast on Twitter or Facebook. And we have a new Patreon page. We've got some really exciting stuff on that as well. So some really interesting projects we'd love you guys to get involved with. So please, please do go on to uh, please do go on to Patreon and look for Neon. You'll find the link below. But please help Neon grow. So let's look at Martin Scorsese's. I'm going to use the word masterpiece. The Wolf of Wall Street, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, full disclosure, I, I'm, uh, I love this film. I think it's a great, great film. It's easily the funniest film Martin Scorsese has done, but I am well aware that I like a clean rating on my podcast, and I've picked one which is about as unclean as it gets. So there will be some euphemisms. I will be glossing over certain things. But the point is, it's a it's a great film. There's no doubt about it. There's three hours of debauchery and it's hilarious. I don't want you to think that in any way I dislike this film. I don't, but it does raise some a fundamental question about our understanding of certain job functions in the world around us. Now, the other thing I want to mention about it is Leonardo DiCaprio was once again not Oscar nominated for this role. He'd been nominated a bunch of times and had never won. And he didn't win again. So uh, he won with his subsequent movie, The Revenant, and he goes through hell in The Revenant. And I remember at one point in that where he's freezing cold and he 
basically kills a horse and sort of goes inside it. A little bit like they did in Empire Strikes Back, putting Luke in a Tauntaun. Anyway, uh, but this, as he was sort of naked in the snow getting into this horse carcass, I just thought at that moment, oh, give this man an Oscar. And after seeing The Revenant and the horrible time he went through in that, pr probably in terms of both the character and also Leonardo DiCaprio obviously had a tough time on the shoot as well, I actually went back and watched The Wolf of Wall Street to remind myself that Leo's had some pretty fun times too. So, if you don't know what The Wolf of Wall Street's all about, it's a autobiographical sort of depiction of a guy called Jordan Belfort, who was a, a guy on Wall Street, mainly in the 1990s. He, his, his overarching story is indeed what's shown in the movie. So, he comes out, he's a fresh-faced individual, and he happens to pass the test and join a major financial firm, made a major trading firm, and basically joins at the moment of the massive, the, the, the Black Monday, the massive stock market crash uh, that you got in the late 1980s. So, bad luck. And then what he does is he goes to this uh, penny share shop which is basically a place that sells junk bonds. Um, you know, they have various different phrases, but these are... To, let's do a little bit of finance history, shall we? Okay, so the way the stock market started, it actually, the, the, the first stock market was Dutch, but then it was enhanced by the British, and as the British Empire grew faster than the, the Dutch Empire, although for a time the Dutch Empire was bigger, uh, the, the basically Britain became the mother of all modern stock exchanges. What this boils down to is a company, when it wants to grow, needs to borrow money. So it could go to a bank and get a loan, or it could issue stocks. You get 1% of my company, but in return, I want money for that 1% of, uh, of my company, and that is your stock or share. Okay, share of the company. And as the company grows, that means you might have bought that share for, let's say, one pound. But as my company's grown and grown and grown, your share's now worth three pounds. Yay, great for you. That is the basis of the stock market. It has been corrupted and it's been distorted. And there's lots of other markets as well. There's a currency markets now uh, and, and so on and so forth. It's all got rather complicated. What penny shares are bottom line is these are teeny tiny companies, probably one guy working out of his shed, who's been told by a financial broker, look, if people can buy shares in your company, which is basically just you and your toolkit, you might actually get the money that you need to invest in, let's say, a van or to hire a second guy or something like that. The stock market in its purest form is a really good way to low risk, get some uh, get some money on board, get some, basically create some debt, but in return I am now able to invest and grow my company. That, in essence, is what a free market economy means, as opposed to uh, as opposed to a planned economy, which is what a socialist or communist idea is, where the government does all that for you, and nobody actually owns the companies. You're always doing it for the government. Excellent. I tuned in for a history podcast about pop culture, and now I'm getting an economics lecture. Sorry, I'll move on. But the point is this. 
in this the penny uh, the penny stocks company uh, jordan moved over to was absolutely a step in the wrong direction it, you know he'd worked for a hugely prestigious organization but then basically the economy fell to pieces and now he was back to square one or, or worse uh, because nobody's going to take a penny share company seriously but the thing that he you see both in the movie and the man for real recognize is he earned a 50 percent commission on anything sold so off he went basically lying to people about how oh, yes this new company could be the next apple well he used the word could there which is important because you can't guarantee anything but when you're using oh, this is this could be apple this could be microsoft this is your chance to come in at the f ground floor level and you you know you'll be able to buy it for peanuts and this will be your investment for the future this is how you get a big fat pension later on when you sort of all the dividends from these shares are going to roll in all these things are if but could maybe in essence it's gambling and what he's selling he knows will never be the next apple or microsoft and so all these people's money was basically spent on silly companies that were never going to make anything hence the term junk bonds but he got wealthy out of it this is where he also gets introduced to this Jonah Hill character. Now, some of the people in it are absolutely real, but their names have been changed, I'm going to presume, for probably legal reasons. Like his second wife in the film, played by Margot Robbie. Now, Margot Robbie had been in a few films and a few TV series in Australia before, but this was her big break. Martin Scorsese movie, starring opposite Leonardo DiCaprio as well. This is probably a young actress's dream role. You get to look beautiful, you get to have big powerhouse moments, you, you know, you get to work with some of the greatest names in, in the market at the moment. And so she really goes for it. She really commits to the, to the movie and she's phenomenal in it. Uh, so, you know, yes, she's beautiful, but she's a lot more than beautiful in this film. Amazing actress. So any interestingly, while he did indeed have a second wife and in, didn't, she did indeed was a sort of like a part-time model, it is worth pointing out her actual name was different okay so anyway anyway actually what you see in the movie is pretty much what happens in jordan belfort's real life okay what he does after learning the skills at this penny share company he decides to set up his own shop his own sort of proper share trading organization and get back into wall street where basically he runs the same idea the idea is this time round, rather than ripping off poor people, he's now going to rip off rich people. And he does it, first of all, by getting people lured in with shares that they will have heard of. Things like GE, Ford, Microsoft. Yes, we've got a great tip on this at the moment. So you come in and you make a little bit of money with them through the well-known shares. So you build some trust there. And then they go, hey, there's this other one you haven't actually heard of yet. And that's, and then we're into the penny share area and that's where you lose money. What it's called is a pump and dump scheme where basically you get people to pump up the price. So you then make a lot of money from it and then it all collapses. But you get out before the collapse, but everybody else takes the hit. It's illegal. Okay, uh, there's a number of things in this film that are just outright illegal. And there's a number of things in this film that have subsequently become illegal, but weren't actually illegal at the time. This is the problem with the financial markets in the sense that you can regulate what exists, but when there's a new thing that comes on, it takes time to come up with legislation to say whether you can or can't 
have it, okay? And he was one of these people who played both sides. Sometimes he was just dealing with something new which technically wasn't illegal, other times he was just outright being a crook, okay? And this is where I'm going to come on to in a minute about how Wolf of Wall Street has made my day job hard and is once again reinforcing a cliche, a dangerous cliche, if you like. But a few other things. So there's the hilarious scene where, under the influence of various pharmaceutical products, uh, he drags himself into a Lamborghini and basically smashes it up on the way home, but somehow makes it home safe and sound. That all really happened, except it wasn't a Lamborghini, it was a Mercedes. All the debauchery, while we cannot say it was frame-for-frame frame accurate, yeah, that's basically the way he ran his organization. He didn't actually, to be fair, there are scenes where they bring wild animals into the office. That didn't happen. Also, one of the opening scenes, they are throwing little people at a sort of dartboard. They're wearing Velcro suits and stuff like that. That also didn't actually happen. Uh, but it was apparently discussed at one of their board meetings as a motivational thing for the teens. Uh, the scene where Jonah Hill eats somebody's goldfish as a punishment, a live goldfish, by the way, uh, that actually happened. So if you like the silly stuff where you're sitting there going, clearly this has been made up for a movie. No, no it wasn't. Uh, the scene where their incredible luxury yacht, which was previously owned by Coco Chanel, uh, was indeed uh, basically sailed into a storm, capsized, and they were brought back together, uh, brought back safely by the Italian Coast Guard. The And then almost immediately afterward, his, his plane crashing because uh, a seagull got sucked into it. That also again happened. In the movie, he sees it happening. He didn't actually see it. But again, yes, these two great catastrophes happened almost back to back. They were in, within days of each other. And it's one of these things and a reminder why I love history. Because sometimes you just couldn't make this stuff up, okay? The thing is, Martin Scorsese, I'm invariably going to be going back to him because whereas he's kind of known as a sort of a gangster movie maker and a sort of man who looks at crime and the underbelly of, of life, the reality is a lot of his stuff is actually based on history. Goodfellas, arguably, is arguably his greatest film. You know, he has certainly a whole bunch of masterpieces under his belt, but that is, of course, about the gangsters and, and specifically the mafia of the 60s and 70s. It's a part of recent history. Kundun is about the Chinese invasion of Tibet. We've got Silence, which is about Jesuit priests in feudal Japan. These things all happened, and these are all definitely historical. Raging Bull, Jake LaMotta was a real boxer. So, yeah, when you put all this together, surprisingly, you don't think of... Martin Scorsese as being a man who does movies about history, but actually he does quite a lot. Hugo even is one that's really about the birth of cinema. It's also a kid's movie as well, one of his few kid's movies, and uh, perhaps his only. Um, yeah, well, that's debatable, but anyway. So yes, whereas he does do outright you know, made-up movies, something like Taxi Driver, for example, even that has a certain level of DNA to the fact that we're talking about Vietnam veterans coming back from the Vietnam War and the state of New York and how decrepit it was and run down in the 1970s and how crime-ridden it was. So, 
Martin Scorsese spends a lot of time in the past, and that is no bad thing because he produces some of the greatest films ever made. Keep going, Martin, please, we need you. Anyway, anyway, so back to The Wolf of Wall Street and the problem it causes. You see, the thing is this. In TV and movies, they don't have a real amount of time to show you the careful nuances of characters or indeed the jobs they do. So there are tropes. Another word for trope is cliche, really. It's basically the standard things you see. And particularly when it comes to jobs, there are things that TV and movies love doing. Let's give you a few examples, shall we? Let's take doctors. Think for a moment about doctors and surgeons in TV shows and movies. I'm pausing for a moment to allow you to perhaps think of a famous one or maybe one that you watch regularly. They're the good guys, right? Let's take George Clooney for a moment. He had had a career, including Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, or Tomatoes, uh, in, um, it, it, you know, so he'd been around for years in movies and TVs, very much in the background, okay? George is more than happy to admit he's been in some real stinkers in the past. What made his career? Okay, so first of all, he's a good-looking guy tick for the ladies there, okay? Secondly, they made him a doctor in ER. Second tick, okay? That's the one to take home to see mum. The third tick he gets is they made him a paediatrician, so he's good with kids too. It was basically girl candy they created with George Clooney in ER. But, but generally, the surgeons and doctors, they're the good guys. They're the noble ones. They're the heroes, okay? Then let's go to police officers. They come in two flavors. You Not so much good cop, bad cop, which is what a lot of people say, but you get the hero cop. John McClane, die hard. He's a police officer in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or something dark, like a corrupt cop. They're quite often the bad guys in movies. Or, of course, you can get something completely epic like bad lieutenant. Pick one, uh, be it the Nicolas Cage one or the Harvey Keitel one. Both are phenomenal movies, phenomenal acting pieces. Very hard to watch, but very, very dark. You wouldn't think that they're doing the same job as John McClane, but they are. So there we go. Police officers, you get the good ones and bad ones. Then we come to accountants. Yeah, they're always boring, aren't they? Uh, and, you know, John McClane was not an accountant in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then finally, we come to, and this is the first time I've actually mentioned it really in this podcast, sales, sales people. Think of movies that have selling in them or TV shows that you've seen. In Britain, they managed to get most of the in-betweeners back together again on a BBC comedy called White Gold, selling double glazing in the 1980s. Salespeople are not the heroes in that one. Perhaps the granddaddy of them all is something called Glengarry Glen Ross. Now, if you haven't seen Glengarry Glen Ross, that is a remarkable movie. It's certainly not historical or anything like that. It's basically a bunch of real estate salespeople, and every single character in that movie has either won an Oscar or been nominated for an Oscar. We're talking about Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Ed Harris, you, you know, the, just the list goes on and on. And 
It's a remarkable film. Alec Baldwin, up until that point in his career, played heroes in things like Hunt for Red October, for example. Then he comes on and plays this super slick salesperson. He's only in the film for seven minutes. He's only in the film for one scene. But it is one hell of a scene. And in that seven minutes, he tears everybody else to pieces and then basically walks out. He was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for just seven minutes of screen time. He didn't win, but it was a remarkable scene. Now, pretty much everything I have mentioned so far has been rated 18 in Britain, R-rated in America. This is absolutely not suitable for kids. Wolf of Wall Street's in the same territory too. But Wolf of Wall Street is something that, again, confuses like with Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, quickly, let's do a few others. Uh, how about Boiler Room? I've already talked about White Gold. But what all of these things do is they confuse salesperson with con man. And you don't do that with doctor. They're not doctor slash, I don't know, serial killer. Occasionally, that might happen in a horror movie, but that generally doesn't happen. You know, the, the doctor's the doctor, the, the good guy. Yeah, right. Whereas Nobody sees salespeople actually in their proper environment. I'll come on to that in a moment. But what I did want to do um, just briefly is mention the whole cop thing. To give you an idea of how distorted our view of police officers are, I know some people who are police officers. And do you know what they spend most of their time on? Paperwork. There's a lot more politics in police work than you ever actually see. Also, all the police stations, because they're not particularly the most funded things in the world, are all pretty run down and grubby. They never really look like that in TV. So, yeah, if you want, you know, whenever you get, get watch this next gritty cop drama, and look, I'm a huge fan of something like The Wire. Uh, in the uh, in the line of duty is a huge hit in in Britain, and all these things are sort of seen as super gritty and and really realistic. But even then. They don't spend three quarters of the TV show sitting there filling out forms, which is really what police officers spend an inordinate amount of time doing. Okay, so now sales. I have a strong opinion on this because for my day job, I train salespeople. That's what I do for a living. Come on, you didn't pay for the Neon podcast, did you? And if you did go to Patreon and uh, and sort of contribute, thank you very much for that. But that is hardly going to pay the bills. So, yes, I have to have a day job. All right, fine. Now, uh, when I first graduated, I went into sales. And actually, the scene early on in the movie of Wolf of Wall Street, I can recognize moments moments from that film only, okay? But one of the things that tickled me is early on, Jonah Hill, if you've seen the film, he's wearing these very large glasses, which have kind of have a tortoiseshell effect around the edges of them. I had those glasses. But that's the closest thing I can say about me being compared. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To Jonah Hill, okay? So, what my point is, I started off in sales. I worked it in many, many years. I even met my wife through sales. It's been good to me. It's paid for my house, okay? So thank you very much, sales. And then it evolved into sales training. Now, the thing with sales training is I get to meet so many different salespeople in so many different environments. I have worked with some of the biggest brands you've heard of, and I've worked with really sort of small SME type companies, that's small medium enterprises if you don't know, that's sort of around about 20 people working in a company, okay? Sometimes even smaller than that. But the point is, I've worked with lots of different companies, I've worked with lots of different types of salespeople, and I don't recognize those people, those real salespeople ever appearing on screen. Because here's the thing, if you are, look, you can look at this either cynically or nobly, okay? So I'll give you both arguments. Let's look at it cynically for a moment. If you are working in business-to-business sales, what does that mean, Jem? It's like, okay, fine. I work in a company, and I'm going to sell my stuff to another company. Let's say I'm an engineering company, okay? And I'm going to sell you switches and motherboards and electronic equipment to your company that's then going to put it into their machines. All right? Fine. Boring, isn't it? The point is this, if you want to look at it cynically, I want to sell you what you need because you'll like that experience and you'll come back and buy more stuff from me. That's an easy, straightforward business relationship to have. I want that. That's the cynical way of looking at it, okay? Now let's look at it the noble way because this is genuinely the way I worked in my entire career. I'm an honest person. You never see that in the movies. I am an honest person. And I don't want to sell something to somebody that they either do not want or need. So I want to know that when people think I have done business with Jem Daduchu, that it has gone the way I thought it would go. He was a straight up guy. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's what gets most salespeople out of bed in the morning. They're not a different breed who love doing people over. They're human beings who have to look at themselves in the mirror. And the other thing that's worth mentioning is, if you don't like the word sales, and in Britain it's almost a swear word. I've had, I've done training with graduates, and I regularly ask the question, has anybody tried to put you off sales? Did anybody sort of stand in your way? And I regularly get people put their hands up. It's almost like when people say, oh, I've got a sales job at at a large, reputable organization that you've actually heard of. You do still get people sort of saying, oh, you sure about sales? It's almost like saying, I've joined the mafia. I know. So here's the thing. Try running an organization without money. 
Because all salespeople do is they sell stuff, which generates money into a company. Doesn't matter if you're Apple or Honda or Budweiser. These are all very different products, but they all still need to sell their products. And marketing will only take you so far. So yeah, you need salespeople. And actually, there are hundreds of thousands of them in the UK, and they are reputable. But you never see that in the movies. They deliberately confuse it with con man. Now, here's the thing. If you're a salesperson and you fail to hit, let's say, your monthly target, you have a sales target to hit, you know, please bring in £10,000 by the end of the month. If you do, you'll get some kind of commission. That's the monetary incentive, okay? I've done well. I've gone over. You wanted me to bring in £10,000? I brought in £11,000. Ooh, that's wonderful. Have a bonus. That is one of the appeals of sales. Because if you are, let's say, a nurse, we need more nurses than we do salespeople. There's no doubt about that. But no, no matter how good you are as a nurse, you may have had a brilliant month where every single patient on the critical ward survived okay there were no deaths there was nobody ended up having to go back into intensive care or anything like that brilliant month you still get paid the same amount with the month where everything went terribly wrong there were a number of deaths on the on the ward etc etc there is absolutely no incentive to work above and beyond but they do because they want to give care and all people want to but i would argue want to fundamentally do a good job nobody wants to sit around doing a bad job if you are that person, I'm going to argue, you're in the wrong job, okay? If you've grown to hate your job, find another one. And if you're going to turn around saying, but I can't earn the same amount of money somewhere else. Okay, fine, but you're slowly dying in your current job. Find one that still pays the bills, but is something that fits your skill set more and you will enjoy more. I'm not saying you're going to enjoy every bit. Personally, I love what I do. I love doing the training. I know it's not for everybody. It's like, why do I have to teach these people once again how to do questioning in a sales environment? Well, I don't. I love the conversation every time I have to do it. And on that point, that is the thing you never see in Wolf of Wall Street. And what I get from the grads is not just the, oh, my dad tried to put me off doing sales, but here I am. Be it male or female, by the way. Um, it, not just that, but also I particularly just after that film came out, I had so many particularly young men come up to me going, oh, Jim, I picked up these great sales techniques from Wolf of Wall Street, at which point I said, oh, yeah, what? And this is the thing about Jordan Belfort. I want to go back to him for a moment because here comes a spoiler for the movie. At the end of the film, he goes to prison. OK, he goes to prison which is not what happens to any salesperson. Going back to those targets, if you exceed the targets, you get a bonus. If you don't hit that target, you don't get sent to prison. If you continually, always miss your target, you're probably going to be out of a job, but most organizations will recognize that, let's say, August isn't a particularly good time for business. Lots of people are on holidays. Okay, fine. Uh, so, you know, people understand that. And it won't be like, as soon as you fail, you're fired that's a sign of a bad company. It's not a sign of a bad salesperson. And I don't tend to work with those organizations. So yes, so what happens is salespeople actually, they, they try really hard and they certainly don't always succeed. And sometimes you know that that target's a little over overstating what can be done in that particular month because somebody further up the chain of command got it wrong that month. But the point is, 
you don't go to prison because there's nothing illegal about selling something, provided you're not lying, provided you're not turning around and saying, oh, this car, this car can do 200 miles an hour. Actually, it can only do 120. That's a lie. And then you can go and speak to things like the Advertising Standards Authority or, you know, which or whoever. That is something that's there to protect consumers, okay? If you break the law, if you lie, if you cheat, if you deceive, if you are a con man, you end up in prison. And that's what happens to Jordan Belfort. And therefore, it, it just annoys me that right now, Jordan Belfort is out there doing sales training. He never sold. Can you sell anybody something once through lies? Yeah. Yeah, you can. And then people realize they're lied to. They will never trust you again. And they'll probably never trust that whole area of, of, of work or industry ever again. So no, that's a terrible business plan. What I want is for people to keep coming back to me. You said you'd do X. You did do X. I want more of X, please. Doesn't that work as a very simple, basic business plan? And therefore, the line that bugs me the most in the whole of Wolf of Wall Street is right at the end, you see a man doing some talking and then introduces Leonardo DiCaprio saying, and here he is, Jordan Belfort, the greatest sales trainer in the world. Uh, well, first of all, that man is Jordan Belfort introducing Leonardo DiCaprio. And you can see some of Jordan Belfort's stuff online on things like YouTube. It is the super aggressive, in your face, you know, throw salespeople raw meat and feed them nothing but protein and blood and, you know, keep them, then keep them hungry and rah. I don't know. I do not recognize that form of sales. I see it in things like Wolf of Wall Street and I see it in things like Glengarry Glen Ross. But in all these companies, look, I don't just do training in the UK either. I've been sent to multiple different countries to do sales training. I've trained people from China, India, Germany, America, all these different countries, uh, different cultures. I don't see what you see on things like Wolf of Wall Street. It's just a thing. It's as, almost as high a fantasy as something like Lord of the Rings. Now, don't get me wrong. It does not stop it from being a hilarious, fun movie. But it's another part of the problem. One of the reasons why salespeople, real salespeople today, find it hard to speak to the people they need to speak to because they're all seen as, oh, it's another Wolf of Wall Street. Now, for the record, Jordan Belfort, interestingly, was never actually called during his career the Wolf of Wall Street. It was not a phrase that was used in his office or even in the article that is referred to in the movie, which is a real article, but didn't actually call him Wolf of Wall Street. It was the name he came up with for his autobiography. And let's face it, it's catchy. OK, so what I want you to, to realize is this. You can call it sales. You can call it business development, account management. The list goes on and on. Regional director. But the point is this, if you're if you work in a company, not an organization like, let's say, the NHS or the military, they have no need for, for salespeople. OK, but if you are in a company that sells a product or service, you need salespeople. Be nice to them. Now, there are bad salespeople out there and they should be called out for what they are. 
but there are lots and lots of really good salespeople who really do want to add value to their customers. Talking to a salesperson who really understands your company and understands their product can really help you get better. You never see that in any of the stuff about sales. And going back to the questioning bit, what you see again and again, because it makes such great TV or such a great movie moment, are the speeches, sales speeches. And there is this theory, particularly amongst people coming into sales for the first time, that if I say the right words, it's almost like a magical incantation. I could almost hypnotize people into buying stuff from me. Well, if you believe that, you're an idiot. That is not a thing. Okay, actually, the way you get to be a good salesperson is you ask questions, loads and loads of questions. I'll give you this for free because you know what? You come to one of my training courses, you pay to come to one of my training courses. So or at least your company will. So you get this one for free on Neon. The best question you can ever ask a client is what's the biggest problem you're facing at the moment? Because if it is in an area that you can help fix, you go from being just a buyer and seller to a bit of a hero to that organization. We had this problem and that guy fixed it for us. We will keep talking to that guy. That guy is full of great ideas. I'm using the term guy. Obviously, it can be women too. And what I'm pleased to see in lots of sales work environments, there are a few industries that are sort of understandably biased towards men. But what I'm seeing in lots of industries is it's about 50-50. And the amount of female sales managers out there is a lot more than you think. If all you do is watch Glengarry Glen Ross or Wolf of Wall Street or Boiler Room, you think it is just pure testosterone. I would argue that some of the best salespeople I've ever seen are women. I would say that women just seem to be slightly more in tune with sort of like reading body language and tone than men. I don't know why, but it is an absolute observation over the last 20 plus years of working with men and women in sales. So I'm great to see that it is actually far more egalitarian and gender neutral than you might think. It is not just a bunch of guys just sort of dripping in testosterone, screaming down telephones. That's just not a thing anymore, if it ever was actually a thing. So, what I have witnessed firsthand is the impact of Wolf of Wall Street. People still talk about it in sales. I still use it in my sales training in certain courses to basically say people think they know sales through Wolf of Wall Street, but the reality is it's all a lie. It's wonderful entertainment. And again, if you haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street and you are rated, uh, you are 18 years or older, watch it. Watch it and be dazzled by the amazing cinematography, by the editing, by the fabulous stories that are in this movie, by the great acting, by the epic sales hustly speeches. It is three hours long, but those three hours fly by, in my opinion. However, remember, it isn't actually sales. So there we go. That is Neon's take on the Wolf of Wall Street and the world of selling best practice. I'm Jem Daduchu. Please, before you go, don't forget, do click the five star review on whatever app you're listening to this on. 
do feel free to come and talk to us on Neon Podcast on Twitter or Facebook or neonpodcast.com. And and if you like this and link to Wolf of Wall Street, go to Patreon. We're trying to do some really interesting projects, including trying to get off the ground a cinema night, a film night. There'll be a little bit of me at the beginning, then we go into a classic movie. Maybe it might be Wolf of Wall Street. Maybe we don't just don't have that much time. I don't know. But if that sounds cool to you, go on to Patreon. You'll see that we've got some really cool stuff going on there. Thanks for listening. Keep spreading the neon revolution and I'll be back soon. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.